presented by Meta. Hey, good morning, Playbookers. I'm Raghun Winovalan. It's Thursday. We got some updates in our election forecast. Let's get to it. It's your Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. We're a little less than two weeks out from Election Day, and that means crunch time for campaigns. Steve Shepard, Politico's senior campaigns and elections editor, and among other things, our chief elections forecaster, tracks pretty much every key race in the Playbook newsletter every day. And he's here to talk about some recent shifts he's making in his forecast. Steve, how's it going? How are you holding up? I'm doing okay. Uh, I made the perhaps foolish decision to take a cross-country trip this week to go see uh, some of the campaign activity out in Arizona, obviously mm-hmm. a huge state. Uh, but at the per, perhaps the expense of my sleep schedule uh, and otherwise bandwidth uh, for, for doing all of this work in what you called crunch time. Uh, so the first thing I want to ask you about are some of the rating shifts you came out with this morning. What are some changes you've made in the forecast? Well, the biggest one is from that trip to Arizona. Uh, I had moved back around Labor Day the Arizona Senate race into our lean Democratic uh, category. Mm. Senator Mark Kelly, the Democratic incumbent, had an, uh, a pretty so- a solid lead over Republican Blake Masters. Blake Masters struggled coming out of that Republican primary Uh, got Trump's endorsement, but then had no money once he won the nomination. And Democrats did a great job at defining him as uh, sort of out of the mainstream. I've seen a lot of attacks on uh, Masters for suggesting uh, that we should privatize Social Security, uh, all these sorts of things that went into that ad campaign that, that largely went unanswered for a month, maybe even a month and a half, mm. uh, as Masters was unable to keep pace with Mark Kelly and Raphael Warnock, are by far the two best fundraisers among uh, sort of the endangered Democrats on the map this year, uh, and Democratic outside groups that were so involved there. The Republican outside groups kind of cut him loose. Senate Leadership Fund, the group uh, affiliated with Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, pulled its advertising out of Arizona, mm. essentially said that Blake Masters' image was too tarnished. Uh, what we have seen in the meanwhile, and my colleague Natalie Allison wrote about this over this past weekend, is a little bit of a Blake Masters comeback, uh, t- a significant tightening of the race. Uh, there's a poll out just on Wednesday that showed from a Democratic polling firm, Data for Progress, that showed the two candidates tied 47 mm. 47. Uh, and so I went out there spent about three or four days out in Arizona to to see what the political environment's like there and to, to watch these two candidates in action uh, and and to talk to lots of people while I was there. And uh, the takeaway that, that I came I came with is that my rating of lean Democratic was underestimating uh, what Masters' actual chances are to win this race. And so I'm moving this back into the toss-up column, reversing that change that I made uh, a little under two months ago. And this one is going to be a toss-up going into Election Day, barring any kind of unforeseen circumstances. I guess it's not a surprise that um, there seems to be a shift towards GOP candidates. You know, that's something we've been tracking in Playbook. I wonder if there are any races that went the other way towards uh, the Democratic Party. There is one, uh, one notable one, which is the Pennsylvania governor's race. Uh, Mm. We've always had, since Republican Doug Mastriano won that nomination, we have had Democrat Josh Shapiro favored uh, to win that race, but only classified as lean Democratic. You know, looking at the national environment, looking at uh, Pennsylvania, a swing state that where Republicans, uh, you know, have done pretty well in the last couple of elections. Donald Trump won it. 
in 2016, almost won it in 2020, a cycle where you might expect sort of the late undecided voters to go Republican, which which I think is what's sort of starting to happen in a lot of these places. Mm. Well, there's all indications are that's not help happening in Pennsylvania. A big part of that is Doug Mastriano is not running a credible campaign. He doesn't have any money, uh, especially compared to the well-funded Shapiro, Republican outside groups, by and large, with the exception of, of one or two groups uh, far on the right, uh, are not stepping in to help him. Uh, they don't view him as either uh, someone who has a good chance to win or someone who would be probably a particularly good governor. We move that one into the likely Democratic category it's very difficult to imagine a circumstance, even with some of this late Republican momentum that we're talking about in Arizona and a couple of House races that I also shifted uh, in this ratings change. It's just very difficult to imagine uh, Doug Mastriano could get across the finish line, given all these obstacles in his in his way. And I, I just want to add, you know, I'm not the only one doing this kind of style uh, rating. Mm-hmm. And a number of folks who uh, who also do this, uh, they moved Pennsylvania into their likely Democratic category a while ago during sort of that peak moment for Democrats in August and September in that that sort of time period where it looked like Democrats had reversed what what was going to be a Republican wave. Uh, they moved, in a lot of cases, at least in one case, they moved Pennsylvania and Michigan together into likely Democratic Gretchen Whitmer seeking re-election against Tudor Dixon, who uh, has struggled to build a campaign infrastructure since winning the primary in August. Uh, I waited on mm. Pennsylvania just to be sure. And I'm not moving Michigan into that category. In fact, if if anything, there are signs that the race in Michigan, where I have it lean Democratic, is tightening. Uh, I'm not moving it the other way. I'm not calling it a toss-up. But it does seem like Gretchen Whitmer is in for a little bit of a tougher re-election campaign than I think we would have thought a month ago or so. And so this is happening. You mentioned this is kind of happening across the map. That's one example. And and the counterexample here for very specific, very unique circumstances is it's not happening in Pennsylvania. I'm curious of the ratings that you're shifting. um, How many in total are you shifting towards the GOP and how many are you shifting towards uh, the Democratic Party? So this is a pretty small update in terms of the raw count. I'm only moving five races. Mm. One Senate race, one governor's race, three congressional races. Uh, I feel pretty good about where our ratings are, and certainly we'll be doing sort of one last, uh, one or two last big updates, uh, sort of omnibus updates leading into Election Day. These are are more sort of changes where it's clear that I'm looking at something and and it's not right, uh, and it it needs to move. And, and, you know, it doesn't comport with what I thought the political environment would look like or with what's going on in this specific race. The real reason we're spending time on this is because of the shift Mm -hmm. in Arizona and how the difference in just one of these contested Senate seats will you know, the likelihood of of any one of these being the tipping point state that decides the majority is pretty high. You know, whether it's Arizona, Georgia, Nevada. You know, for example, if if Republicans can hold on in both Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, the two most uh, vulnerable seats that they have in this election, uh, then they only need to flip one of Georgia, Nevada, and Arizona. Mm. And the polls are roughly tied in all three states. So, you know, it's possible they only flip one. Sure. It could be that this that Blake Masters' comeback in Arizona decides uh, which party controls the Senate. Or it could be that Mark Kelly, if he's able to hold off Blake Masters, uh, will be what delivers a Senate majority for Democrats. So uh, the, that's what's so important about this. By and large, on the whole, four of the five shifts are towards Republicans. I think that kind of encapsulates this moment and where the political environment is and and how it's trending over the final month or two of this campaign. Uh, But I also want to be clear that, you know, this is not 
a, at least it does not appear yet that the dam is totally breaking in terms of a, a massive Republican mm. wave. Uh, it just seemed a lot of, some of that was built into the forecast that Republicans were probably going to close strongly as the party out of power typically does in midterm elections. So I, I kind of priced that in at the beginning. But there are specific things that are happening in these races where uh, we needed to make that shift. And, and more often than not, when that's happening right now in this moment, and this wasn't true in August, but in this moment, it is uh, generally in favor of Republicans. There's one last race in particular I want to highlight, uh, Sean Patrick Maloney's seat in New York. Uh, I thought this was notable because he's chair of the DCCC. There have been some recent big ad buys behind the GOP candidate there, New York Assemblyman Mike Lawler. Some other organizations have shifted this to toss-up recently. Uh, you did not. So uh, what's up? I did not. Uh, the Cook Political Report did. Um, I believe the University of Virginia also did not. Uh, it's certainly one that I'm watching. Uh, you know, when I talk about like the, th the things that are happening in these specific races that might cause me to rethink where each individual race fits on the landscape, a last minute, very expensive media buy by one of the parties in a place where they had not been advertising uh, qualifies right. as something that uh, certainly needs to be monitored. And so, I, you know, I think I'm going to spend the next week or so talking with my sources and making sure uh, that I'm in the right place with my rating uh, as best as I can. But, and if I'm not, then it needs to be fixed and it needs to be moved. And I think, you know, right now, uh, I want to see how this ad campaign plays out. There's also this, this factor. You know, I currently have, I think with this latest update, I got down to 26 hmm. races in our toss-up column. That is a few more than I want mm -hmm. to have on election day. I want this to be a useful tool. I don't want, personally speaking, I don't want to be, uh, you know, in a situation of, of using the toss-up category as a cop-out. You know, some of the other competitors have more than, than 30 house races hmm. in their toss-up column. And, you know, that, that, that's just not where I want to be on election day for, for what we're trying to do in the context we're trying to provide our readers about this election. Uh, I don't want to just be, you know, personally speaking, and this, this is not about what anybody else does, um, you know, I want to try to get as many right as possible, uh, <laughs> provide the greatest service for Politico's readers. And putting a bunch of stuff in the toss-up column just feels a little like a cop-out to me. So I'm, you know, if it's going to go there, and it very well may, especially given all the money Republicans are spending to try to flip it and try to oust Sean Patrick Maloney, uh, if, I, if it's going to go there, it's going to be, be because it is close to a coin flip and not because they're making a gambit and see an opportunity. I'm just going to make sure that it's really close to 50-50 before I move it in there, especially at a time when I'm looking to try to cut through the spin of both parties when they say, oh, we're going to win there, or, oh, we've sure. got a really good chance to win there. Well, wh where do they really think they're going to win? And, and where do they really, uh, where are their best opportunities? Mm. That, that's what I'm looking to cut through. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping to get it right in the end. This is a re we're not going to freeze it now. We're going we're gonna to keep updating this through to the final weekend before the election. And, I'm, and hopefully we'll talk again. And I may have a different answer that it may be in the toss-up column, but it's going to be because my reporting bears that out. And right now, I'm just not ready to make that move. The forecast is a living document. All right, Steve Shepard, Politico Senior Campaigns and Elections Editor. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Here's what's up in Washington today, starting with the White House at 12.25 p.m. Eastern. 
President Joe Biden will depart the White House to head to Syracuse, to head to Syracuse, New York. There, he'll make remarks on manufacturing and jobs. Afterward, in 515, he'll depart Syracuse to head to Newcastle, Delaware. Vice President Kamala Harris has nothing on her public schedule today. The House and the Senate are out today. All right, for more news on what's breaking in DC right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter. That's at politico.com slash playbook. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Rogu Bonavallin. Have a good Thursday. We'll see you first thing tomorrow morning. One day, the metaverse will help students learn about the rings of Saturn, allowing them to get up close to the planets and gain a deeper understanding of how our solar system works. The metaverse may be virtual, but the impact will be real. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.